This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Another week, another episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. Before we get going, I'd like to thank everyone who has joined the Patreon community. For as little as $1 a month, you can get access to bonus content. And for $5 a month, in addition to the bonus content, you get early access to all episodes. I'd also like to take this opportunity to direct you Once you have finished listening to Everything Went Black, you can check out Into the Necrosphere, Black Metal and Death Metal, Extreme Music, Extraordinaire. Jackie Smith brings you weekly episodes. Horror Wolf 666 for interviews with luminaries in the horror world. Iblis Manifestations for all things occult and spiritual. And if if that's still not enough, head over to Necromaniacs the horror-based podcast that I co-host with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid. For this week's episode, we have Trevor Shelley Dubrow of Pelican and Relayer. He has some news about a new Relayer record, as well as developments on the Pelican front. Trevor and I go way back. A lot of shared history on the road, and he also dead wrongs me on some facts about yes. So check it out. Trevor, it's been a while. I feel like uh, a lifetime has passed since we last spoke. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, it's been a lifetime since anyone has spoken to anyone, right? Or, uh, I mean, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's um, it's funny the weird time dilation that's going on. I know that we spoke uh, when I think probably when your solo record came out. I think that <laughs> might have been the last time, and that wasn't really that long ago. But it seems like. It was a different age, like a different epoch or something like that, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think that's certainly the last time we spoke uh, in an interview capacity. I think we've had social interactions since then. But even the social interactions have have, uh, been pretty dried up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You came through uh, town with uh, Pelican. uh, Yeah, that's right. Played at uh, Brooklyn Bazaar, and that was, I think, the last time we have uh, have been in, in, you know, personal contact there. Even that must have been like 2019 or something like that. So yeah, it's been a, a good number of years. Yeah. And I, I, I think I, I was thinking about this earlier actually because like it feels the pandemic has made it feel like it's been a long time since I've talked to a lot of the people that I consider like uh, friends that live far away. Because uh, when you start touring, like your social circle, uh, you know, when you're growing up, your social circle is largely dictated by the people that are around you geographically right or locally sure and then uh when you start touring it's sort of like because of crisscrossing paths and people that you tour with and that kind of thing like suddenly you're drawn closer into these tighter closer relationships with people that are from further away and i would i you know when we were touring all the time there there would be people that i would see more frequently that lived far away than uh you know live here locally and obviously as our touring schedule has adjusted and uh evolved over time and we tour less like i some of those same people i don't see for years at a time but uh even that like it now 
that the the distance of this pandemic and the isolation that it's caused has made uh you know a span like three years maybe in 2019 would have felt like it wasn't that long of a time to go without seeing you but now it feels like this eternity has passed like you said yeah for sure man and um yeah i'm on the same page with you about the touring and you know every year i would bank on being out to the west coast at least at least once a year for sure Mm -hmm. you know so all, all my like west coast friends like jay bennett you know and those, you know, Aaron Harris, people like that. I knew, I know that I'd see them maybe once a year at the least. And then yeah. you know, obviously people in other parts of the country, I make it out there maybe a little bit more frequently, but having to go from that to like not seeing anyone barely at all, it was like <laughs> pretty, pretty, you know, if you want to think about it in this term, it's a way of driving people insane. It's like a very easy way to break someone's mental capacity, like doing something like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but uh, let's talk about like uh, fun stuff, man. I think uh, everyone <laughs> everyone's already been through all these types of conversations, and uh, we want to look more towards uh, a more brighter future. I think. Yeah. Which leads me to the new Relayer record, which is about to come out. Yeah. Yeah. So I've spent some time with it, and um, yeah, it's 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 great, and then uh, you know it's. Uh, it's it's a de- not much of a departure from the other records, but I feel like the songs might have been maybe more um, evolved and better realized. And so did you have more time to develop the songs and, and all that in this time around? Yeah. So, um, I mean, we started writing and, in fact, started playing some of these songs as early as the tour for the last album, which came out in 2018. Uh, and we were pretty much done writing and ready to record when the pandemic hit. Uh, and, uh, you know, Stephen and I live here in Chicago, but uh, Collins across the state border in Michigan and, uh, and with uh, a decreased uh, capacity for travel and a decreased capacity for meeting up in person uh, and definitely a, 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 a in a version to being in a closed environment, like a studio, we just sort of like sat on the songs and kept working on them and kind of like, uh, yeah, just kind of kept refining them, I guess. Uh, so many of them, um, are kind of similar to how they were in 2020 or whatever, but other ones like really evolved and changed and shifted. And like, I think the time served them well, really. Now, let me ask you this question because this is, um, you know, being somebody who also, um, you know, works on the creative process. So you, there were versions of these songs that you played live and on tour, mm-hmm. some of the songs, and then you went back sort of to the lab and maybe refined those. But before you recorded those songs for the record, did you have an opportunity to reconvene with the band and, and flesh them out further? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. It's like, well, Stephen and I continued practicing regularly, and okay. Colin would come down every few months or something like that. All right, I wasn't sure. There's that. not like a whole lot, like the the whole relayer, uh, like writing regimen. Like, it's not like we don't do like writing sessions at home or by ourselves or anything like that. It's like every single riff, every single song is written in the practice space with us together. Uh, 
it like starting kind of like from improvisation and then kind of like seeing what parts fit together and then just like letting it flow and turn into a song on its own accord. So for us, it was like to have the extra time to work on the songs is really just a matter of like playing them and seeing how they feel and continuing to let them do their thing. And like for some of them, like the, the first couple tunes on the record, uh, Destructure and Rack, those were very set regimented songs uh, where we, they just sort of like tightened over time. Whereas a song like Codeine Horse, the last song on the record, which uh, started its life as like a one minute transition in our live set that we would just sort of like jam between one song and another song. It started as like a one minute thing and then it turned into a five minute thing. And then by the time it got on the record, it's 15 minutes long. Wow. You know, I, I, I prefer that method of writing where everyone's in a room. I just think it feels more like a band, really. Yeah, for sure. I'm like hooked on it. I, I no longer, I don't really have the capacity to sit by myself and write anymore. I've just gotten so hooked on that other method. And that, that really informed like the stuff that I wrote for the last Pelican record as well. That it's just like when I'm in a room with, especially when I'm in a room with a drummer, it just like makes the process a lot more interesting and collaborative and like the ideas flow a lot more easily for me. Now for a time with Pelican, because of proximity, that's, you guys had to work um, separately, right? <clears throat> that's true. Yeah. And certainly that's part of why Nighttime Stories took so long to finish was because we we could only get our songs so far before we needed that uh, interaction and that space together. But we're also bad at allocating time because like every time we would get together, it would be for a show and we were bad at allocating time for writing, um, which I think going forward, <laughs> I, I say that now, I say like going forward, we're going to be a lot better about that, but it's been like <laughs> two, uh, what, two, three years since the record was written and like we ended up, grounded by a pandemic so um that that process is not uh advancing as quickly as it could have did did brian move back to the chicago area he did yeah but larry's still out in la right yeah that's right okay i don't think i don't think we're gonna get larry back it, from from what i see uh, just on social media he's got a pretty pretty flourishing like thing going on out there i think right yeah i think he's quite happy with his uh his west coast uh, sun-filled lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and that's like the key guy when it comes to writing is the drummer for sure. Yeah, in in my book for sure. Yeah, I mean, getting in a room with a drummer is like of uh, paramount importance for for my inspiration. Where did you guys record the record? Uh, Relayer, yeah. uh, electrical audio. Oh, okay. We recorded with Sanford. Uh, we booked Studio B, but Studio A was open, so they, they let us have it, which was really advantageous. Now, was it recorded uh, you know, during the uh, you know, quarantine era that we just went through, or you know, how did you guys uh, work all that? Yeah, that, it was recorded summer of last year, uh, and it, it was just a matter of like production issues that are kind of like holding up why it's taking so long. But um, <clears throat> yeah it was it was during summer so and electrical audio have been really tight about their uh their pandemic restrictions and stuff so like we had to wear masks at all times there was uh you know sanitizer everywhere wow. uh so yeah i think steven took uh, steven took his mask off to play drums but that was about it 
I was going to say that uh, since that's like a physical, you know, exercise, basically, to play drums with a mask on must be very difficult. Yeah, and the singing with a mask on uh, would probably be pretty hard, too, I imagine. But Well, yeah, for sure. Not, 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 not that that's a problem for us. Well, but... that, that's, why, that's why I was going to say. I was like, it's a good thing you guys don't have a vocalist. <laughs> you know, have you ever thought about being in a band with vocals? Because, you know, this is the second, uh, you know, instrumental band that you're in. Yeah, um, I mean, I've been in bands with vocals. Uh, I did well, that I band. Only, I, only I feel know. like I... I feel like I sent you that um, that band Let's Pet that I was in, oh. where all of us sang. Oh yes, okay, all right, okay, all right. I stand corrected. Okay. Yeah, and I've been in like hardcore bands over the years and stuff like that too. So um, it's just I don't know what it is. It's like there's something about my uh, guitar writing style that is takes up so much space that it's like hard to figure out where vocals would fit. And I think that started in Pelican. Like Pelican, we we never intended to be an instrumental band. Uh, we just couldn't find anybody to sing. And then like Laurent and I sort of evolved a writing style where we took up the space and the frequency spectrum where a singer might occupy. Uh, and we kept developing that to the point that now I'm <laughs> kind of stuck in it. <laughs> you know, to a certain extent anyway. There's only one guy I think that could sing for Pelican, and that would be Eugene Robinson, probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Bring it on. <laughs> that thought has crossed my mind, actually, on many occasions. Think like when I listened to you guys, I was because he has like a very um, uncanny knack for vocal patterns and placement. You know, that's true. That's very true. Yeah, Relayer got to play some shows with Oxbow. That was really fun. That would have been uh, after the last album. That's awesome, man. I, I um, have you heard Bunuel is the other the other project he's in? No, I haven't. Oh man, I, I just had Eugene on as a guest, uh, you know, a few weeks back, and it was around the release of the new Bunuel record, and it's um, it's good. It's like uh, you know, mo- most of the um members live in Europe, and and uh, Eugene, you know, obviously lives in the West Coast, and uh, right. It's more um. I hate to throw the term noise rock, but you know, it's in that you can call it that, you know, in that style and, uh, not as like uh, complex as like some of the Oxbow stuff, but still excellent though. Well, that sounds cool. I got to check it out. Yeah. So you mentioned Laurent. Um, he's back in the band from my, my understanding. Yeah. He's, he's joining us for, uh, for shows this year. Dallas sort of dipped out of the band during the pandemic and, uh, and we have these shows coming up, so I just asked Laurent, you know, we've been working on these reissues with him for Thrill Jockey of the first three albums, and uh, and he was down. I mean, he's been like, I think he's been itching to play guitar and stuff, so it's been it's been fun reconnecting with him and jamming on the songs. That's awesome. Where, where are these dates happening? Like, what part of the country are they in? Uh, they're all in Europe, so we're headlining oh. Dunk, Dunkfest in Belgium in late May. And then we're uh, uh, semi-psychotically, but we didn't want to do like a three or four week tour. But uh, then we come home and then we fly back in a couple of weeks and we do um, Freak Valley Fest, Hellfest and like a few headline dates. Have you guys played Hellfest before? We have not. It's awesome. It's it's like, I mean, 
it's probably like a like kiss is probably playing or something like that the same day you I, I mean, know yeah it's like insane. I, I forget it's like a it's a crazy lineup and they've had us uh they've been rolling the bill since 2020 and they keep keep having us on so we're excited to finally get to do it yeah we played it once a few years ago and i was like blown away i was like oh wow there's bruce dickinson over there okay cool <laughs> you know there's like dave mustaine just walked by i'm like oh great this is like real fun man you know it's it's definitely a trippy to play like these big european festivals with some of these like you know bands that you might have grew up listening to you know well and also like i feel like so many people from our community have done it like i i was starting to develop a real sense of like um always a bridesmaid never a bride with hellfest because like every year friends of mine would play it and i'd be like when are we ever going to get asked and then like, when it finally happened i was just elated that's awesome man that, that's 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 a lot of fun doing hellfest yeah i'm super stoked and that's the last show of the tour so i think it's going to be a real blowout it's gonna be fun so is Laurent going to be doing any you know writing or is it going to go back to the same dynamic you guys had prior to him leaving <laughs> We have not really crossed that bridge yet. I think for us, for now, we're just sort of focused on the shows and like, you know, we haven't, we obviously haven't played any shows with him and stuff. And like, I don't really know where he's at in his life and we don't know where we're at in our creative lives. So I think like for us, it's sort of like a, uh, this is the task at hand. And then like, we'll kind of figure out what's next after that. You know, it is kind of weird, actually, after all this time. I mean, especially, I mean, not all this time, meaning that you guys haven't played together, but I mean, all this time of being like off the road and relatively inactive and where the band is more conceptual as opposed to a tactile part of reality, you know, like to suddenly have dates and, <laughs> and sort of, uh, contra- you know, like these, these things that you have to do that involve live performances you know, so yeah, it can be a little bit overwhelming, you know what I mean? So how, how does, how are you taking all this right now? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been like, it's a little confounding because I, the last Pelican show was December, 2019. So it will have been two and a half years by the time we play again. Uh, and yeah, it's just been really confusing. I mean, it, it like the band, like you said, almost became an abstract thing. Cause like at the beginning of the pandemic, we were like, what do we do? Do we like send demos and like try to write or like, can we make a record remote? And like, there were a few like aborted attempts at trying to do something like that. And then fortunately, um, for, fortunately, unfortunately, the, 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 all the stuff with Hydra had happened where, uh, Aaron announced that he was folding the label completely and that we were free to take our records wherever we wanted to go. Uh, And then we struck up this deal with thrill jockey that they, they are going to um, re-release the first three Hydrahead albums. And, uh, and we decided to do sort of like expanded remastered versions. And so uh, kind of delving in on this archival project and like trying to find all the original unmastered audio and like what bonus stuff we could find that became sort of like the creative outlet for the band. And I think that that kind of gave us like sort of a life raft to, to sort of take us through the, that phase of the band. You know what I mean? It kind of gave us like, even though it wasn't like doing something new, it was like a sort of a creative outlet for the band to try and like, reinvest ourselves in these old records and like what what other ephemera surrounding those things there was out there that we could that we could utilize 
And that just sort of like dovetailed into uh, being able to do shows of Laurence again. And like that, you know, the whole thing has felt really fluid and uh, yeah, I don't know, almost like uh, preordained in a weird way. You know what I mean? That's going to be cool. Like hopefully uh, there's some stateside dates. Cause I'd like to, you know, obviously when you guys come to the New York area, I'll be there and I'd like to see Laurent again. That'd be really cool. Yeah. We haven't really figured out, um, anything outside of the Midwest yet. Like we're doing like one underplay in Chicago next month. And then we're doing like a weekend in September. Um, but I know that like when all the reissues come out in earnest, like I think we want to do like a West coast run and an East coast run at the very least. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, yeah. So we'll figure all that out when the time comes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just really funny too, because Pelican has never been like a band with any sense of retrospection at all. You know, like the last couple tours we did, we were excited because we had uh, we had written enough material with Dallas at that point that we were like, OK, well, now we're not doing any pre Dallas material and we we're only playing songs from the last two records. And we thought that we, for us, that was like a major victory. So like for us now, it's like now we're not playing anything from those records. And it's like this completely new uh, unexplored mode of the band for us. That's kind of cool, though. Yeah, no, it's been interesting because, like, I just, I don't have, like, a nostalgic bone in my body. So, like, to try and engage with that and learning how to engage with nostalgia and not just nostalgia, but, like, uh, viewing the past through the prism of the present. Like, it's been a really fun and interesting experience because, like, I feel like there's so much that I've done uh, as a musician since then that, like, I have sort of, like, this new perspective on all of that material. And we're playing all these songs that we haven't played in so, so long and had to relearn them and like kind of real, not just relearn the songs, but relearn how to play guitar like that again um, and bring the sort of like the new skill sets that we have to those. That's always a very interesting thing to do when you revisit um, older material. Cause like, you know, some of this stuff was like I mean, 20 years, you know, like, Mm-hmm. and your st- your technique is probably improved and like the way you approach the instrument is different and th- you really are creating a whole new image of that song you know it's yeah. not going to sound like it sounded in that two- the year 2000 or whatever you know yeah and hopefully people think that it sounds as good or better <laughs> but we'll, we'll see there's always like some stickler that's going to be like oh you were really much better back then oh probably but, a german yeah. a german will tell you that probably you know that's the stereotype but it, it's everywhere <laughs> yeah yeah you were better the last time the time before not so much yeah you know we used to always joke that like the first rehearsal was really the best <laughs> You know, you know what I think of sometimes how like you think about, the, I mean, I don't even know if this is true about how they say like every seven years you're, you're, you have all new cells in your body. Hmm. That's how it kind of feels when you revisit, like, like when you, you're going to add like new material, old material to the set. <laughs> you know, it's almost like someone completely different entity you're introducing to this thing, you know? <laughs> yes like i some of these riffs i was i i was trying to figure out how to play them and i was just like what the fuck was i thinking yeah <laughs> it doesn't make any fucking sense <laughs> but it's just like yeah it's a completely different mentality that evolves over time and like yeah it's sort of like the same way that i look back on my childhood and like 
you think about things that you do when you're a kid and you're like, why would you fucking do that? But it's because you're, you, that's just like your frame of reference for reality. Um, and it's, it's the same with guitar. It's like, nobody fucking showed me how to play guitar. I just sort of like, uh, created my own method. I never took lessons. I never, you know, I ne- never did anything. I just learned how to play along with like punk records and invented this entire, um, vocabulary, you know, this musical vocabulary. And, uh, and it evolves over time, you know, naturally. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Cause I mean, even within my own like little efforts that I have, there's like certain things when I go back to some of our older material and I'm just like, Oh yeah, this is those couple of years where I was doing this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing this and it's like different, you know? Now let me ask you, um, you know, having like, how do you differentiate the material that would be a relayer song or a Pelican idea? Uh, well, that's just really a matter of like, who am I in the room with when I'm writing a riff? Okay. Right. Cause like I right. said, like re- relayer, we don't write anything, um, except in the practice space when we're together. Oh, so you don't so, even have like ideas. From oh no, home. I don't even, I know I don't oh, walk wow. in the practice space with riffs. I just, okay. We, everything is written in the room. So wow. it's like literally like, and it's not like I, I ever stop relayer practice and I'm like, guys, that's a Pelican riff. You guys can't have that. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. That, that, <laughs> that's pretty free. Actually. I like that. You know, that's completely alien to me, but that's an interesting idea. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I mean. It's like, it all comes from a spot. I mean, like the songs are really like tightly composed for the most part. Uh, Cody and Horace and like, um, Descent of the Night Bison from our first album are kind of like the the outliers in that regard because they have like sort of a uh, a degree of improvisation baked into the structures. Right. But the the other songs are all tightly structured, but they come from a place of improvisation where it's sort of like I'll just start playing something and then like even I'll start playing along and then like it, when something clicks, we just take note of it mentally and then we go back to it and then like we just keep jamming on it and seeing where it goes and then like over time it turns into a song do you demo all this stuff out and kind of look at the arrangements or even even that the the arranging is done like sort of in the space too right yeah um yeah it's all done in the space and like we do we do a lot of like rehearsal space recordings and like i spend a lot of time like reviewing those and listening to them and like you know, smoke, smoking some weed and listening to it. So I get it in a different mentality, kind of like removed from it. So I can have like sort of a, a third party perspective almost. And uh, yeah. And then like more ideas will pop into my head that way. And then I just try them out the next time I'm in the space. I don't really try. I don't really like when I'm listening to the rehearsal recordings, I don't usually like do it with a guitar in my hand and like try to figure out what else to do. It's all just sort of like inside my head. And then like when I'm, together with them again work on it some more that's pretty cool man i it, it kind of scares me a little bit to think about that <laughs> honestly but it's uh it's kind of cool though i i that's that's an excellent way of approaching it i think but, and, but that's how i write with pelican too it's like and like obviously dallas was, uh, had a t- completely different writing method and he was really into demoing at home and like i mean i i could walk you through his process but it's like it's pretty to me, it's pretty alien where it's kind of improv based, but it's at home by himself and to a click. And then like, he like sorts through the riffs and then like he starts arranging stuff and like, 
that that's all fine and good and it, like it obviously worked and like he came up with some fucking incredibly sick shit yeah uh but for me it's if if it's not in the room it's really hard for me to like to generate the ideas the ideas for me come from sort of like the interaction between one another and like to, when you ask something like what's the difference between a pelican riff and what and a relayer riff and how you know the energy that I pull out of Steven or that Steven pulls out of me is completely different than the energy that Larry and I have together. And what comes out just naturally flows from that relationship. That's uh, I'm, I'm considering that right now. That That's pretty cool. I, I uh, completely, um, I used to think that, you know, I was like kind of a free thinker, you know, but <laughs> now I realize how uptight I am, man. I'm like, wow, that's like a, a very organic kind of flow based method, which, um, like I said, it kind of frightens me a little bit. Hey, the, the first jam where you're like, oh, we finished a song. We have to start another one. That first practice can be pretty scary. And like I've almost noticed that the arc uh, for for a relayer song in particular is usually like the first practice sucks working on a new song, the, then the second one something really clicks and connects, and then like there's suddenly like three minutes of something to work on, and then like you go through a dead period where it's like, fuck, what do we do with this? And like it doesn't go anywhere, and then suddenly things just start happening. A video just came out recently. Um, yes, the relayer. Now, um, how? What? What's like? How? How did? How did? What's? What's that process? Because I was looking at this and I was like, man, this is like. Uh, <laughs> it makes me think. It's. It's almost like I feel like I should be on some sort of drug or something when I'm watching the video. Yeah. So the video is by uh, Bobby Marcos from Cloakroom. Okay. And uh, and literally, I just I saw a bunch of his videos. Uh, you know, he's a friend. Like Cloakroom are totally tight buds. Well, actually, and, if like, I'm if I remember correctly, they toured with you when you guys came through came through Brooklyn last time. Yep. Yep. That would that's correct. Um, yeah, we played loads of shows with them. Both bands have Relayer and Pelican. And uh, and I saw that he was doing more stuff, and like his aesthetic seemed so aligned with relayers like um art direction less so the new album than the first two albums but the first two albums sort of have like that um sort of retro futuristic uh, minimalist design and like his videos are really similar to that in insofar as they're really geometric and trippy and uh and i just showed it to like colin and steven and i was like dude like we should see if Bobby could do a video for us. Um, and like, <laughs> he pulled it together really fast. Cause like, it was like after the first single from the record came out uh, and we already had the plan to put out real air second. Uh, and it's like, I wonder if he could turn a video around in time. Like I doesn't seem like that would be feasible. And I hit him up and he was like, yeah, let's do it. And, uh, <laughs> he, and you know, he turned it in the day before it came out. So it all worked out. That's but, awesome. Uh, but yeah, the, yeah. the geometric stuff is what really, when I was watching it, cause you, you, know, you sent me, you texted me a version of it. And I was like, you know, I, it seems, um, 
similar to some of the things that one might see if they were under the influence of some kind of uh, psychedelic uh, from what I've read from some of the research that I've done, that might be something that a visual aspect that might arise out of an experience like that. My, my favorite is when I'm hitting the guitar harmonics and like these little eyeball shapes start shooting lasers. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, <laughs> I just like that. He like, it's not just like a weird geometric abstraction. He like, he's really like, editing to the cuts in the songs and and like he really like nailed the rhythm of the song in like these animations too was, yeah i was really blown away well that that's what makes it even more psychedelic because there's there is that reactive nature to it you know where there's yeah. like something in the song happens and then the visual is cut edited to that so there's like this very unnerving kind of reaction to it yeah, and then he has like archival footage of planes and stuff in the background, and he's like, "Oh, he's like really tapping into the fact that the song is called Real Air." <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So actually, what what um, it's with Gilead Media, right? Is that who's putting the, putting this out? That's correct. Yeah, that's um, that's a pretty interesting label, man. They have a bunch of cool stuff, a bunch of cool releases. Do you do you know that guy personally? Because there's uh, a bunch of stuff going on with that label recently. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Pelican played Migration Festival a few years back, uh, and I kind of knew him through the internet before that. But uh, but yeah, that's that's where where I met him in person. And uh, yeah, I mean, for for Relayer, it's sort of like uh, we don't really know where we fit uh, in the music landscape, and like Gilead is like such an interesting and like experimental uh label in terms of like their their approach to heaviness that it just seemed like that made a lot more sense than maybe some other things that we could do with the record and uh yeah we we were really excited when he was interested in it i think uh that band uh Mizemore is on that label if i'm not mistaken yep that's right yeah that's yep. one, one of the more notable bands i think he puts out is that that particular stuff i like that a lot yeah, that and Vow, and then of yeah, course well, those Vow, yeah. those two just did like a collaborative album, so it's sort of like, yeah, the the big the two biggest on the label just uh, joining forces. That's pretty wild. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome record. Yeah, it's really cool that um, Laurent's back in the band because it's you know talking about that made me think about the tours that we've done together. You know, and that's yeah been a lot of a lot of that's some of the some of the good good memories from the past you know us and you guys and isis and a couple of runs we did in europe uh you know not not full tours but we crossed paths a bunch of times over in europe and it's just been really cool yeah the first night i met you uh was at that show that we played together at gabe's oasis and uh laurent broke his finger do you remember i don't remember laurent breaking his finger uh yeah we were loading out oh man and Remember the the uh, the alley behind Gabe's? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Has yeah. that that decline or whatever? Oh wait, so the, hold on a second. It's coming back. That's right. Yeah. So the van the van is like sort of parked at a downhill angle, <laughs> yes. and like his finger was in the sliding door, and like I don't remember somebody like nudged it ever so gently, and it just closed on his finger. Just the fingertip, just the oh, tip. Man. Yeah. But now like, I remember. yeah. I mean, dude, that was like potentially tour ruining and he he played through it i mean dude was a fucking soldier we all were at that that period uh but yeah i mean that's harrowing he had a really fucked up looking finger for the rest of that tour 
Yeah, Gabe's Oasis. I think it the load in was kind of rough in that place, if I remember the right right. Yeah, it was a, a second story bar in Iowa City. And uh, I think by the time we played that show, which would have been 2009, the back stairs were repaired. But like I did many load ins uh, to Gabe's Oasis over the years where they had the most rickety metal rusted yes. metal staircase leading up to that venue. And like, man, it was it was legendary. Like people would talk about that all over the country, like the load in at Gabe's Oasis. and Like who's going to fucking die loading in there? Yeah, because I, I remember <laughs> I remember rolling up to that place and before we got there, I was like, Oh yeah, this venue, there's it's like a ladder you have to climb up to get your gear into the, <laughs> into the room. Not quite, but yeah, it was yeah, that was a really dangerous yeah. I remember playing there with my old band Long Live Nothing played there with Vita Blue. Did you ever hear that band? I wanna say that um didn't Level Plane put out something by them? That's quite possible. They yeah. were they were sort of like screamo, but they had um they had like almost like this uh this like jammy noisy quality to them. Um yeah, they were a really fucking cool band and like that venue has like all kinds of piping and rafters over the stage and like their singer Matt was just like climbing the rafters and like hanging upside down playing guitar and like just going completely crazy. And that was that was a really phenomenal show. But that was definitely when the stairs, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the no, for sure, at their at peak dangerousness. Yeah, that was kind of a weird city to start a tour in, though. I thought, you know, yeah, and that show and maybe a couple other shows on that run were with that band Dredge, which didn't really have any relationship to what we were doing. They were sort of like alt rock, uh, but they had like some sort of inroads into our world, and I'm not really sure how that happened. What's kind of like funny. Weird- it's like when I got the the uh, itinerary for the tour, right? Because uh, part of that tour was with Wolves in the Throne Room too, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, that was when they were. That was right around when Two Hunters came out, and they were just getting blowing up. Yeah, and I saw this band on that that was on the itinerary for like um like three or like maybe four or five days, I think, and it was like D E D R E D G, right? Yep. And I was, that was like, the oh, band. This is like, I mean, who are these guys? Are they some like like Eastern European like like black metal band or something? You know, <laughs> I I never heard of them. You know, yeah. But apparently, uh, in the '90s, they had some uh, late '90s or so that they were like minor. They had a minor success somewhere. They had a, a single or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. we had already we had already been out with them on the the Taste of Chaos tour, which was uh Kevin Lyman, formerly of Warp Tour, his attempt to do like a heavy style tour. So the year we were on um, Taste of Chaos, it was like um, Deftones and Thrice. That's where we met the Thrice dudes. And then like some bands that I really have no relationship to, like uh, Story of the Year and uh, Atreyu. I don't know if you remember them. Like they were a victory metalcore band. Uh, that was a weird tour, but Dredge were on that one. And I think they were similarly to us on the second stage uh, <laughs> for, for the baby bands. Right. Yeah. That, um, 
they're they're like weird guys if i remember correctly i don't know i don't, I, don't really... I, I just remember it was like we were playing like those 300 400 cap rooms and they had like a guitar tech with them yeah and it just felt like out of place <laughs> <laughs> actually it's funny we toured with creator um a few years ago just a short run like out to Ozfest, and uh we were playing like you know like 400 capacity rooms with them and they had a full like bass tech drum tech guitar tech sound guy like <laughs> they didn't even come off the bus like they actually had their techs do the sound check and they would Holy you know, and they would sound check for like the entire afternoon you know how like sometimes those <laughs> bands like that are you know what i mean yeah yeah so that, that was kind of i was like man you guys must be like hemorrhaging money with this crew you know it's <laughs> insane yeah but uh you know whatever it's creator you know what i mean <laughs> yeah totally yeah we toured with opeth in 2005 and i remember uh they they did their own sound checks but i remember their sound checks would just be like these epic jam sessions they were just like do you like these psychedelic jams for like two hours and then we'd get like five minutes to sound check oh yeah no, I, I mean i remember many times being the opening band on tours like big package tours where you're sound checking while people are standing there in front of you know waiting for the show to start you know? totally yeah i mean that's part of the you know part of the whole trip really you know yeah but uh, yeah those were good times man i enjoyed all those that was fun and uh probably like probably my favorite of our runs together was the uh the epic uh, wavering radiant isis um pelican tombs tour and that was a full oh, u.s man. tour that was great yeah that was awesome that was a really rad tour yeah though uh that was sort of where when we were winding down on touring i think like some of us were more into still being on the road than others but um overall i think that was a really fun tour and like isis jesus christ i mean that to me like i i know that there's some debate over like you know when they peaked or whatever for but for me they went out on a high point i just thought that that record and those those shows were so fucking good i i think that record's great and that might actually be one of my favorite isis records honestly you know and yeah and, i think hands down the recording the songs the performances i think hands down it's their best record yeah there's a lot of variety on there there's a lot of different like you know diversity of what they're doing within the songs you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, I just remember like, like everyone was such good friends on that tour at that point. And, uh, yep. you know, my history with you guys, like goes back, you know, we, we had some history and it was cool. And, you know, I've been friends with like, you know, Jeff and, and Aaron Harris and those guys for, for damn, I, I, I met Aaron Harris when he was still in high school. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that was just a lot of fun. And I don't know. I just think back to that time and how, how great that was. And, you know, things are not like that anymore, you know, but that's just the way it is. That's how life goes. <laughs> you know? That was definitely the peak of a certain era. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, dude, thanks for spending time, man. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to, um, hearing, you know, getting a vinyl copy of, uh, the new relayer. And, um, yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to, um, the Pelican reissues. Now, as far as um, the bonus material, what sort of stuff is going to be part of these expanded editions? Uh, yeah, so we tracked down some stuff that we hadn't really done much or anything with, uh, like everything from like like oddball split stuff 
but then also like we tracked down a bunch of demos and stuff like that like we did demos for all of these records that we didn't really ever do anything with it was just sort of like figuring out how to get the songs down in a recording studio so that we knew how it would go when we did the actual records so um yeah we unearthed a bunch of that stuff and then uh kind of the, the crown jewel of it all is uh we went back to the to the boards and remixed the entire fire in our throats album oh wow uh, which we haven't told anybody about yet so you, th- this is a uh everything went black exclusive damn uh <laughs> yeah we went and yeah uh because we, we i was just archiving all this stuff i like dug out all the tapes and like i was digitizing everything and uh our buddy greg norman who recorded that album was doing the the digital transfers for us he was like listen you know like if you would ever want to remix fire in our throats like i am a much better engineer now than i was then and there's a lot of things when i listen to that album that i know that i would do differently now if i had another crack at it and he was like just if you guys want just let me let me know and i'll take a crack at it and we all discussed it and we were like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's, we, we were like, just send us one and, and we'll, we'll discuss. And he sent us one remix and it was like, holy shit, this is way better. Wow. <laughs> so we kind of, we went from there and yeah, man, it's, it just like completely, uh, cause that record was probably our biggest record at the time, um, of that initial run. And, uh, but we were always kind of disappointed. We always felt like we kind of rushed the, the recording and the mixing a little bit and uh and yeah getting another crack at it really like opened it up and like everything sits a lot better in the mix now and man i'm so so excited for people to hear it that kind of goes hand in hand to what we were talking about earlier about like when you go back and try to execute those older songs as a different player you know mm-hmm. so it kind of translates over to the engineer who has had a couple of decades of, uh, you know, experience under his belt. So that's actually pretty fantastic, really. Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, he brought a a completely different skill set to it. And, like, I'm really excited. So was that mixed uh, straight off a two-inch tape back then, or was it digital, and now it's all in Pro Tools? Or, you know, how did that work out? That, That is our sole album that was analog only the whole way. Um all the other ones like had like were either pro tools or were like a hybrid of the two and that that one was analog all the way so we had to transfer the the two inch reels <laughs> and uh yeah and, and just he he redid it this time he redid it digitally like he yeah. did, the, did it from the digital transfers but yeah yeah that was the one that was the analog record that's awesome man i mean it'd, it'd be really cool to have those side by side you know and and um yeah, it's funny. I, I thought I would never say this, but ah, man, I, I got to be honest, man, like working in Pro Tools is you have so much more resources at your fingertips than you did back in the, like the late 90s or whenever when you had like a, a couple of really good compressors and like, you know, a couple of good EQs and a decent board. You know what I'm trying to say? No, I know. And like the mixing process is so different now because like he'll send mixes we're, and we're not in the room with him. He he'll send mixes, and then we all take make notes, and then he can go back and address the notes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. uh, this needs to be louder here. Or like, it, we could use a little boost of high end here. And uh, <laughs> so the, the mixing process, as a result, took like months. But um, 
but yeah you can do all that whereas like in the old days in the 90s when everything was analog it was like you are in the room and what comes out of the room at the end of the day is the mix yeah basically because no one really had like an automated board back then like it was to, right, to go totally. to like a room that had an ssl you'd have to spend like fifteen hundred dollars a day or something like that you know and uh-huh. yeah now yeah. it's like you can just you open up a, a file basically and all the automation mm-hmm. and everything's there yep totally that's fucking interesting man so there's yeah, no uh, I... <laughs> re- there's no real um like you don't have like a, a release date for that yeah you just have like kind of conceptual no no and we've a- approved test presses for we approved a test press for australasia is which is the first one and city of echoes i think we're still yeah we're still waiting on a test press for that uh and then fire in our throats we're just turning in the mixes now so it still has to get mastered um but i know because of the the bottlenecks in production right now the release date for australasia is slated for november but may move up depending on what happens with production and if City of Echoes, it's sort of like a wild card for now and fire in our throats. So like probably 2023, but who knows? Damn. Yeah. Dude, the production delays are like, <laughs> they're, they're, they're not a joke, you know? Uh, and it's the same with Relayer. It's like Relayer, our digital and cassette release are May 13th and vinyl is a huge question mark. I mean, Gilead is doing vinyl, but we have no idea when it's going to happen. So let me ask you a question about the, um, the 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 vinyl release. Like, so the, is it going to be all that all that extra material is still part is part of the vinyl package as well, or just a digital only? Um, so it's going to vary album by album based on the capacity of the um, of each record. So like Australasia has three bonus cuts, but I think only one of them is going on the vinyl, and then. Um, the others will be available digitally. Yeah, because I was and like, there'll be like a download coupon with it and and whatnot that'll come with all of the tracks. Oh, cool! Because I was envisioning and, like having like three LPs or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> with all the stuff you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I mean, in in my dreams, yes. But uh, in terms, of, we like <laughs> uh, Bettina Thrill Jockey and I are both adamant about not just um, you know putting as much in there as possible it's also about making it affordable for the consumer because like in a lot of cases like we're asking our fans to rebuy an album that they might already have so i we don't want to get into a a situation where it's like you know fucking fifty dollars to to rebuy this album you know what i mean it's like we want to keep it at a price point that's like um you know advantageous for the consumer uh and City of Echoes, the 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 benefit there is that that was always a single LP album. So that one is expanded with a bonus LP with six bonus cuts. And that was easy. That was easy to do. Um, but Australasia and Fire in Our Throats are both double LPs. So uh, the jury's still out on Fire in Our Throats where we're going to fit the bonus material and how much of it is going to be digital only. But uh, Australasia, yeah, we were only able to fit the one bonus cut on the final. Yeah, because it would end up being like, uh, you know, like, yes, Tales of Topographical Oceans, where there's like four 12 inches or something like that, you know, or four sides. I hate, to, like I, I hate to correct you, Mike, but that is a double LP. Oh, it's wait, it four is. Four sidelong pieces. 
I think I think you're thinking of the live album that came out just before that. Yes. Uh, yes songs. You're right. The triple LP. Yep. That's it. That's it. I, that's uh thank you for correcting I, me on that. <laughs> I would be I would be remiss if I didn't correct no, you, you in your interview if you're when you're interviewing me about Relay or a band that's named after a Yes album. <laughs> Someone so. would have caught it and, and I'm glad that we uh you know that you did you I'm glad you dead wronged me as opposed to someone out there in the audience dead wronging me later. That's right. You know, and totally, you know. But yeah, but thank I, you. I, I corrected you with love. Yeah, exactly. There would that. be some vehemence behind <laughs> someone else doing it. <laughs> but that is kind of the uh, the beauty of uh, the digital uh, format is that it it is cost effective to add like all this bonus material. So it's, it is cool that it's like you have a, you have an analog and then you have like a supplement that might just be digital only. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and that and that's all fine and good. You know, it's like. At the end of the day, what what we want is the album to be able to stand on its own and for people to be able to listen to the album on its own. In fact, with with Australasia, one idea that I got shut down for was I was like, Bettina, we should put a lock groove after the last song on the album before the bonus cut. So you have to lift the needle to get to the bonus cut. And that way it preserves the integrity of the album. She's like, do you know the emails that I would get if we did that? (laughs) It's like, we're not doing that. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that's reasonable. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Is anything, uh, no changes to the artwork or anything like that? Uh, no, not, not, not any, uh, not any major changes. No. Yeah. I didn't think we're so. going to have to relay it out from the original art files because like some of the, the stuff was not, not up to spec or whatever, but yeah, it's all pretty much, uh, going to look, uh, true to the originals. That's awesome, man. Definitely keep me in the loop with all this stuff because I'm interested and I'll, I'll keep my eyes out for all this as it develops. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Trevor, it was great talking to you, great catching up. And um, Likewise. Yeah, man. And hopefully sometime over the course of the year, I'll, you and I will be able to hang out in, per- in person. You know. God, that would be great. I miss you, buddy. Yeah, bro. All right, man. Have a good night and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Sounds good. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.